everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Chapter Tactics. Um, I am Brandon Grant, and I am acting as the temporary host today, as Pablo couldn't be with us today. And with me, I have the one and only Scari. Hello, everyone. And Sean. Howdy, howdy. And today, uh, we thought that we would try and discuss something that would be more relevant with the new ITC missions. And the topic we chose was, um, I'm going to call it all or nothing army builds, where now the new missions have removed the seize the initiative role, and whoever deploys first will go first, which allows people to be much more aggressive than they would have been when they didn't know who was going first until after all the models were down and there was a seize the initiative role. So all or nothing, what does that mean? It means... Are you going to try and build a list where when you go second, your opponent literally can't see or shoot any of your models because you've started fewer models on the table or you've reserved a lot of things or your models are small and easy to hide? Or are you going to build a threat overload list where your opponent can see models, but they can see lots of models and a lot of them are threatening? So yes, your opponent can shoot things, but there's so many of them that you can take that hit turn one and still stand a chance in the game. And why going in between is probably a bad idea. Um, mm. So, for example, um, if you're building a list where there's one critical model in your army and you can never hide it because it's too tall and your opponent takes it out first turn every game, um, I'm looking at you shadow sword that starts on the board then <laughs> yeah. um that oh, model really I doesn't belong in the meta anymore <laughs> yeah yeah i i think having that duality of having a, a strong plan for going both first and second is really critical at this point i mean it was super important before but it's even more important now that people can go all in like this correct so let's start with the defensive side your opponent has a really aggressive list with stuff that's going to charge you turn one combined with really high amounts of firepower. It's an alpha strike list and you're going second. Um, does it make more sense to try and hide everything? Or in the list building phase, does it make more sense to just bring so much stuff that your opponent can remove a lot of it, even though they can see it and you'll still be okay? And let's start with what your army builds are right now and w which approach you're currently using. Starting with, let's say, Skari. Okay, great. Uh, thanks for putting me on the spot there. And <laughs> welcome to a pirate episode. I'm, well, so personally, like the current list that I've been running, um, that I've taken to a few GTs, and I've won a couple of GTs with this list, and uh, even with the new ITC format, um, get, like mission format. And it's designed around the hide everything. Um, it, one of the reasons that I took Ravagers out of my list was Ravagers became very hard to hide. They have giant sails, and everybody can see them from anywhere on the table. So if I usually go second, they just die unless I like deep strike them. And so the list itself uh, right now is designed around multiple Venoms, but not 
eight venoms, so I can't hide them, or ten venoms. I have six venoms in the list. I have units that can deep strike. I have uh, planes, which I can either deep strike or put on the table. At least they have a, a negative modifier to be hit or whatnot, or feel no pain. However, I can hide these venoms in a very small area of the board. All I need is a, a first level line of sight blocking ruin where I can hide, you know, three venoms sort of like back to front so they all kind of squeeze in nicely so that's that's the the format of army that i've been using right now that has worked for me um and yeah that's that's sort of like the list and what do i think is more powerful from a personal perspective i think just not being shot at is more powerful because then you have more things um however terrain is always a toss in the air sometimes so you might like plan to just be able to hide everything and then you know not have anywhere to hide so an army that is designed to just put themselves out there and not care what the terrain is in practice is probably more powerful than an army that's relying on line of sight blocking terrain yeah i think that that's Terrain is obviously unreliable at many tournaments, but they have gotten a lot better about that, so I find that's not the case as much now. Um, but I think your point about the, like, a Venom versus Ravager, like, Venoms are so much easier to hide than Ravagers. Just that extra, like, inch or so makes a gigantic difference Huge in difference. where you're able to put it. Yeah. yeah. That extra inch does make a difference. And that's what she said. Well, it sounds like as well, if you're going to have models, you may as well get the shortest and smallest possible models per point that you can get because hiding six venoms is pretty cool, but I'm going to struggle to hide uh, six land raiders or <laughs> even six layman Russ, especially if they have sponsons. So that's another thing to keep in mind is it's not just the quantity of stuff you're bringing, it's how big the models are. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and that's where you know, and I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about this as well, Brandon. But there's a variety of different things that you can sort of build into your list. If you want to build a list that is a don't shoot me list, you have to have ways to either deep strike, outflank, you know, hide, uh, you know, redeploy, like stuff like that, to really sort of give you a, an advantage in a in a meta that's really like very dangerous right now. Anything that's out in the open will just die. There's no. There's no if it'll die. It's like anything that's just that your opponent wants dead will die, normally. Yeah, you you have to be insanely tough to be able to just absorb an alpha strike. Uh, it's not completely impossible, but it is very difficult. Uh, and you really have to build it so that like no single unit is such a linchpin that you're going to have to assume that it won't die. Uh, because there's almost nothing you can put down that some list or another won't be able to kill. Uh, but that said, not every list is going to be able to punish you all that heavily. Uh, there are some lists that don't have, like, any real shooting at all that you have to worry about. Uh, where, you know, if they have turn one, they're just going to move forward and that's about it. Um, so, I, I think in that respect, the just putting down too many threats to deal with can be very strong. Um, I've been leaning in a, bit, a little bit on that recently with my own armies because I've been looking at uh, trying out a, a Chaos Knight list, not pure Chaos Knights, but mostly. Um, and you're not really going to be able to hide like 
you know, four or five nights. That's just not reasonable. You're lucky if you can hide one, even if it's a baby night. Um, so if you can just outrange and uh, sort of out toughness things by virtue of having targets that people are not able to kill effectively that can go a long ways towards making the too many things to kill list work yeah what i'm hearing is something very similar to what i'm currently trying out which is a triple battalion guard list with scions and talarn as the regiment yeah because the Scions can all start in the sky if I need them to, so they don't take up any space that my infantry squads do. Mm -hmm. And the Talarn tank commanders can outflank, and so can the Talarn infantry. So if I really want to reserve a lot of stuff, I can start almost a thousand points of stuff off the board. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. pretty handy in certain matchups. But on the other hand, uh, while the Scions are okay, I am paying for the Deep Strike probably in points, even though it doesn't cost me Command Dice to do it, because mm -hmm. there's still seven-point Guardsmen when you get down to it with a four-up save in toughness, so they're really not that tough at all. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, the nice part about the Talarn is I don't have to outflank them. It does cost me three Command Points per vehicle to do it, but I don't have to. So in those matches where my opponent is just going to move towards me turn one, I can just start everyone on the board and save my command points for firepower. Yeah. So having a list where you can spend command points or use abilities to reserve things that are still very efficient if they start on the board seems extremely powerful to me for that yeah. reason of, well, if I'm going first, I don't need to be super defensive turn one. But if also I'm going second into someone who's not going to shoot me off the board turn one, I don't need to reserve everything necessarily. So yeah. the flexibility to switch between an all or nothing um, approach of I'm going to hide everything or I don't need to hide anything. So I'm just going to start everywhere um, mm -hmm. is really powerful. So, for example, if you were going to keep bringing Ravagers, yep. there are some matches where people are just going to walk towards you. And you're not going to really worry about their shooting because it's all 12 inches or less or 24 inches or less and the Ravagers outrange them. But if you are able to outflank or deep strike all your Ravagers when you need to and you still have enough command points left over for all the stuff you need, that's great. Because now you have the flexibility in your list to hide everything when you need to. No, I totally understand. And there has been, like, in the past games, like, and there's specific matchups um, where I will take everything I own, put it on the table, and deploy everything outside of their transports and just like put just everything on the table and really sort of um, just play that game of just looking overwhelming to my opponent. Yeah, being able to throw down that level of threat. Um, I mean, obviously it can have a significant mechanical effect, but it also can have kind of a... Uh, a psychological effect of like your if your opponent is looking at that much stuff they may play very differently just based on what you're presenting to them yeah correct and that's extremely powerful because there's a concept in 40k called the distraction carnifex mm -hmm. and the idea is that you have this scary model that if your opponent doesn't deal with it it's going to hurt them they better deal with it right now and it's also reasonably priced for toughness so what you do is you put this distraction carnifex closest to your opponent, mm 
and you put it in a position where they can't afford to ignore it, and then your opponent's forced to deal with it, and while they're dealing with that, your other stuff that's dealing far more damage is way in the back, safe and sound, because all the bullets are going into the distraction card effects. Um, yeah. In my list, it is regular Layman Rust battle tanks with demolisher cannons. Oh, um, God, They're yeah. only 135 points. They hit like a ton of bricks for their mm-hmm. cost. Mm-hmm. and uh, they're T8-12 wounds just like the tank commanders, but they're also closer and more threatening. And if you do ignore them, they do so much damage that um, you really can't afford to ignore them. Yeah. Um, Ooh, but that. they protect the tank commanders from the bullets because the tank commanders are all the way in the back of my deployment zone. And yes, the tank commanders have BS3, the tanks, the layman rust only have BS4, but you can't ignore the distraction card effects. You have to deal with the demolisher. So it keeps the tank commanders alive for longer in those matchups where you can see literally everything in my army after turn one. Yeah, and this is true of many, many different like armies out there, right? Um, you know, whether you're playing an army like Harlequins that puts, you know, six three up invulnerable save bikes in your face and just says, Here, you have to deal with them or they're gonna tie up your whole army. Or you're you're dealing with an actual Tyranid army that puts some sort of distraction card fix out there which is just something big and scary that kind of runs at you and makes noises yeah and brandon mentioned uh range kind of you know having the the regular russes closer and the the tank commanders further back uh range is kind of its own sort of armor in a lot of ways because a lot of armies really only shoot to 24 or 36 inches effectively uh so if you're sitting back at 48 or even further in some cases um you can basically make yourself invulnerable even if you're not out of line of sight and with the defender having the ability to have a much stronger pick of deployment zones now um you have a lot more possibilities to manipulate that range and take advantage of that uh, and i've been finding that that can be incredibly important because there are some armies that just deal really poorly with certain deployments and if you can abuse that on them then they can be in a lot of trouble yeah do you have an example of a deployment matchup where you can abuse your opponent's lack of Ability to deal with a deployment zone? Uh, I would say Hammer Anvil is probably the most common one um, against just about any kind of melee list. Uh, Hammer Anvil gives you so much distance to fall back into that they're just going to spend the whole game slogging towards you and making no real progress. Um, but any of the deep ones like that, the the pointy version of Hammer Anvil, um, and honestly, even uh, Vanguard, I think Vanguard Strike. Strike. Yeah, yeah, Vanguard Strike is also yeah. a very deep deployment where you can just sort of keep falling back and keep. Or you can turn stuff. it into Hammer and Anvil pretty easily, right? Mm-hmm. So you basically hit a side, and then you've got a lot of depth. But you know, in terms of of deployment styles, I feel like there are some that are also traps because against like a very close combat army, something like. Um, table quarters can really pin you in a corner and make it very hard for you to play the mission if you're not careful yes you can definitely get yourself into a lot of trouble doing that because if you just completely seed midfield to them then you may just lose on points even though you're killing their army um but it opens up the possibility for 
a, a different sort of play um, or for sort of, you know, if you if you choose something like Dawn of War and you're very mobile, you may be able to pull like a refuse flank where suddenly your entire army shifts halves of the board and you're just not dealing with a third or two thirds of their forces. Yeah, I want to, um, you know, Brandon, back to the sort of like the main topic of uh, deploying everything and making your army super like scary. Um, I recently played a game against an orc, um, like mm. a 200 grot orc list that had uh, cannons and a bunch of shooting and like shock attack guns and the whole nine yards. And I ended up deploying everything on on the like on the line. I just put everything out there, and my opponent, uh, you know basically sold the whole army instead of taking out like the venoms for example they took out all my planes and and it didn't really do enough damage to my army early on for me to like really counter punch effectively and i think hmm. that's you know so every once in a while i will do um that with the same army that i've designed to hide in a situation where i'm like the table sort of like or the mission is is making me want to take the board aggressively to prevent my opponent from taking the board themselves, for example. Mm -hmm. That's certainly a way to win is if you're fighting a battle where your opponent is just going to grind you down eventually, that's fine if you control the board for five turns and score hold more for those five turns. Oftentimes you can turn that around even if you're losing on kill more. Because you'll score the maneuver secondaries and they won't. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, uh, I think that is one of the places that the the sort of like put too many threats down lists can really shine. Um, is that ability to just take like two maneuver secondaries, hold more every turn, and they get like four turns of that and win the game. Yeah. There's also armies, you know, Brandon, like we discussed earlier, that um, don't care, you know, about going first or second, and they, they just play the same regardless. That's true, but I'm always... Here's a, a tidbit into my mind in terms of designing an army. Um, a story from physics class. So <laughs> as a listener, it's time to put on our, our thinking caps and... <laughs> put in on this scenario here as a story i'm listening i'm um, listening we were learning about calculating the force of gravity on an object and we learned that the force of gravity is dependent on the relative mass of the two objects and how far apart they are okay you've lost like me. No, okay <laughs> so if i'm on the surface of the earth i have a, a g equals one or it, gravity it's the is gravity one, at so the surface yeah. of the earth but if Correct. i go farther away there's less gravity according to this equation. So far, so good. Then the question became, okay, what if I dig a really deep mine shaft into the Earth and I start going a few miles down? Will the gravity increase or decrease? No. <laughs> or will it stay the same? Yeah. It's it. I mean, I I know the answer because physics is it's it stays essentially the same because you're getting closer to some parts and further away from others. And it's pulling in different directions. What about you, Scary? Well, I think that you're so small that it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I had a really really sensitive instrument, would I notice that gravity is going up or down or staying the same if I started drilling deep into the earth? 
my instinct is telling me that it would fluctuate towards being stronger the the more you get closer but then again since you're rotating faster technically it could offset it so the way you can figure this out very easily is to go to the most extreme scenario you can imagine so what's the most extreme that i can burrow into the earth to the core so if i was in the exact center of the earth what would the force of gravity be zero that's right because there is an equal distribution of mass from the earth in every direction around me correct mm -hmm. so it'd actually be lowering the closer you get to so it'd be like the same effect so it's relative to the the point that you're measuring it from that's right so if we were to actually burrow into the earth we would be able to measure gravity decreasing the deeper we got awesome so if you're designing an army list and you're not sure if gravity goes up or down, just gravity take your being mental an scenario for... to the most extreme thing you can think of, and you can go from there. You can work your way back. So if we're building an army list and we're thinking, oh yeah, people build these take-all-comers lists and they just use the same plan every game, no matter what, if they go first or second, it's like, yeah, that's fine. But what's the most extreme army that I could expect if it's going first and it wanted to go first? And what's the most extreme army that wants to go second and is going second? And how do I play both of those games with the same army on my side? I like that. I like that, um, you know, it's the same as in math. You know, you can extend any line you want when you're doing, you know, trigonometry or whatever. But um, <laughs> uh, but I like it. You know, so if you're, if I'm going, so this is me, a layman, saying I'm planning to go to a tournament and I am building a list and I'm going to be facing an army that wants to go first. So what's the extreme? Manny Chima's super bomb list. Okay, great. So let's sort of see how my army or kind of build the scenario around what would happen in that worst case scenario. And then on the other end, if I'm go if going uh, an army that wants to go second, I go into like a Grey Knight army, double paladin Grey Knight list that can hide their entire army and literally be non engaging for two turns or three turns, you know, then how do I deal with that in that scenario? Yeah, you're starting to catch on. I uh, learned something today, Brandon. Yeah. So I think we already covered roughly Monty Chama's list because we're actually assuming that line of sight matters. But that's another <laughs> thing that you mentioned that's really important is what do you do when your opponent has so much firepower, even the terrain's not helping you. And I think in that case, you either have enough resiliency in your list that you can survive that first turn, yeah. or you have the ability to take your more delicate units and start them off the table. Uh, so in my list, for example, I have two Talarn tank commanders, and if I was facing a list that I couldn't hide enough tanks, I could outflank both of them, because relative to their points cost, they're relatively fragile. But if I can start them off the board in a situation where everything's going to die that starts on the uh, board turn one, maybe they'll be able to participate later in the game um, by using terrain. That's an option. But I think now is a good time actually to go to the opposite extreme, which is let's say your opponent rolls and decides to go second, and they really wanted to go second. Uh, what kinds of things can you do for your army to make going first as advantageous as possible, assuming that your opponent has a list designed to go second and not take damage. 
I like that. So, you know, another thing could be putting something in your list that would encourage your opponent to go first, because if they don't go first, then that unit or units you put in that take advantage of the first turn could be disadvantageous for them to take the second turn. For example? Reaver jet bikes against an artillery spam army. I know it's not something mm. you see very often, but that's my go-to because they move so fast. Yeah. Are you including those in your list now? No, I'm not. But uh, I'm saying as an example. Um, the, the, the biggest thing would be uh, just the board control and being able to be in a position to do a turn two strike and then take over the entire table, essentially. Because my yeah. army's so mobile. I, I think that's actually, in many cases, the way that you'll want to lean. Um, because these armies that want to go second are prepared to get hit hard by something that wants to go first. Um, so being able to take over the board, which is often where they want to be, is they want to just sort of move into the midfield and and threaten whatever you have. So if you can completely take over the center of the board and force them back, you can potentially put them in a fairly bad position. I like these thoughts. Uh, the next question that's rhetorical for me is, what are the best kinds of units to push your opponent away from the middle? Well, one hmm. of your favorites would be Bulgrin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some sort of bully unit that is going to prevent anything else from moving close to them, or at the very least keep them I very think it conservative. Can be... I think that can be looked in both ways. You can either have a unit that will take the middle and be like, this is the middle, come take it from me. Or you can create the dead zone in the middle, which is mm -hmm. like, you will die if you come in here. The Leviathan Dreadnought or the Brohammer, for example, is a good example there. Or just being able to say, hey, look, I have the capacity to eliminate anything that goes into the zone. It could be shooting, it could be close combat. So even things like massed firepower, uh, can be a deterrent to go into the middle that's normally not that heavy in terms of terrain. Mm -hmm. I do think that um, the class of units that we're talking about are thinking about if a unit pushes or pulls enemy units around. A unit that pulls enemies towards you is one that, for example, has 72-inch range, ignores line of sight, and ignores cover, and basically says, look, no matter where I am on the board relative to you, I'm going to do the same amount of damage. Therefore, your opponent's like, well, I'm just going to move closer to you because I only do more damage when I get closer to you. So that is a unit that pulls enemies towards you. Mm -hmm. And the opposite is a unit that does way more damage the closer you get to it. So melee units, short-range shooting units. Hurricane um, bolters. Yeah. So well, those are the push point. units you want to yeah. push into the middle are units that have extremely high damage. But on top of that, their damage is really high the closer you get to them. So your opponent's like, well, I don't want to go towards the middle, because if I do, that possessed bomb is going to eat me, or those um, uh, wolfen are going to get me, or whatever this really mm -hmm. killy unit, maybe Sister's Repentia. Whatever that unit is, if you get close enough to it, it's just going to remove your army from the board. So that is a great mm -hmm. unit if you're going first to throw into an advantageous position and say, look, if you come anywhere closer to the middle, I'm just going to eat you. Yeah, there's also uh, something I think that uh, your list, Brandon, takes really good advantage of is just sort of creating space in the middle that is 
dead space in the sense that, you know, you're not going to be able to get into it and it's going to take you time to chug through it. Um, and your uh, scions, I think, are potentially really good for that because if you can sort of just keep hurling layers of infantry forward so that your enemy is only getting to kill a few squads of them and not make any progress at moving towards the real meat of your army, um, that can actually be very inconvenient for many of these ghost second armies as well. Uh, because they, they end up spending so much time out of position that by the turn time turn four and five roll around, you know, they're still trapped in their deployment zone or maybe six inches out of it. Uh, and they really haven't been playing the game this whole time. They've just been like swatting at your whack-a-moles. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Yeah, you've got it. So, for example, if you're building a guard list, you have access to indirect fire, so you don't necessarily need a very strong melee presence, or you have access to scions who are shooting and deep striking. So if there's an L-shaped piece of terrain hiding an objective, theoretically, you don't need melee to get in there and clear your opponent off that objective and make it yours again. Um, but it certainly helps for most armies to have that melee presence, that midfield board presence, so that when your opponent's like, well, I'd like to move up and take the midfield objectives, your units are like, no, I'm already threatening that area. So if you mm -hmm. walk over there, I'm going to surround your unit, kill all but however many models I can allow to swing back to me. You won't be able to shoot my unit. I'll kill it during your turn, and I'll be back to being safe again. And you can just repeat that ad nauseum. So your opponent can't move out until they deal with, well peeling back enough layers to get to your melee unit. So for example, um, a build I was interested in for sisters is you take Repentia and you put them in a rhino, and then you move advance that rhino to whatever the centermost line of sight blocking piece of terrain is, and you sit there the whole game. Uh, most indirect fire, unless you're playing Monty Chima's list, will struggle to pop a rhino that's out of line of sight in cover. Mm -hmm. Um and still have enough firepower left over to kill all the Repentia that are inside. And the Rhino also adds additional movement to their charge distance. So that Rhino is just sitting there towards the middle of the board like, well, you probably can't deal with this with shooting. And if you get anywhere close to the middle, uh, nine or however many Repentia hop out and delete almost any unit in the game, mm -hmm. uh, especially with swing twice or swing on death. So units like that are absolutely terrifying for someone to go second against because it moves up and controls the whole board the whole game from out of line of sight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, stuff that eventually you kind of keep in your pocket in terms of taking the middle of the board and, you know, preventing your opponent's movement and zones of of like threat zones essentially is what it is. And a lot of the times when you're like playing this whole all or nothing approach you have to have like if you only have one unit of repentance in a rhino and you're going second and there's no place to like hide the rhino like if your opponent is smart they'll really kind of take out the key elements that will that will 
be the things that they don't want to deal with throughout the game or that'll make it harder for you to deal with their army if if you don't have those units anymore so i think it's important to note that you know to to have sort of like a redundancy built into your list so that if you lose certain elements that are really useful for certain matchups that you have like a backup plan Mm -hmm. or more of the same unit correct because yeah (laughs) if you're doing all or nothing it's either take three units of repentia or take none of them yeah i think also uh especially for the sort of uh the melee bomb like that that is intended to sort of like smash whatever it it hits it's really important to consider what sort of similar units your opponent is going to have uh you know if you run those repentia into a unit of paladins are they going to kill all the paladins uh, because if not, then they're not doing their job and they're not actually controlling the space. Uh, because your pa- opponent may be perfectly happy to just sort of like walk right up and be like, cool, go ahead and charge me. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with this. Um, so you need to look at what those units are and whether they can handle the sort of things that the meta is putting on the table. Yeah. yeah I'll give you an example. My Bulgrun certainly cannot walk into Paladins and do much to them. Yeah. Uh, the in in a straight fight, paladins trump Bulgren pretty hard. Paladins trump. Well, this is a topic for a different conversation. But paladins trump most things in close combat. Sure, uh, but that just means you need to be thinking about how do I handle that paladin unit um, if it does start coming across the table at me, uh, and that's that's extremely relevant for if you're trying to control the middle of the board. Uh, here's another thing you can think about: push pull at an army wide level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a thought experiment with a friend who was bringing a full Chaos Knights list, and I said, you're going first, but you have 36-inch range thermal cannons on three knights, because he had triple thermal knights. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's to stop you from just staying as far back as possible and melting every vehicle that shows itself from 36 inches away? And he's like, well, you have a relic battle cannon, you have a battle cannon, and you have a basilisk that can double shoot. And you can vengeance for Cadia. So just mm. those three things is probably enough to blow up one of my big knights. Um, so if I hold back, you still win the firefight. Oh, well, that that means that him going first, he has to be really aggressive or vice versa. If If you're going first and you don't have the firepower to sit back and win that firefight, you have to have a plan to move forward. And especially if you're going first, you have to be able to force your opponent far enough back they can't also get onto the objectives or they're going to score more every turn um, Mm -hmm. on terms of holding more. So I guess where I'm going with this, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm combining multiple concepts here, is (laughs) um, if you want your opponent to come to you, you need to build enough firepower into your list that's long range to say, look, if you don't come closer, I'm just going to win. And if you want, or if you're forced to come towards your opponent, you don't need to build for that at all. So the, the, that's the, the, the knife edge you're trying to balance on, is have enough firepower to sometimes be able to outshoot people, but then enough mobility and board control so that when you face the Tau army that is going to sit in its deployment zone and wipe you off the board without moving then you're able to go into the middle of the board and push them back so they can't score objectives at the same time. Yes, exactly. That's a great way of describing that. 
Yeah, and I think that is another case that does depend a lot on how you match up against other armies in the meta. Um, if you are that Tau army, then you don't need to build to be able to be like super mobile and take the center of the board uh, because you by default win every shooting war. Um, there are very few armies that can stand against nine broadsides and just win a straight shooting fight. Um, so if you're any other army, you need to have a plan ready for when you face the army that, that trumps you at what you do. Uh, and, and knowing what other armies are out there is a really important part of that. Yeah, and you don't need to build your army with the best melee unit of all time. Because if your opponent has the best melee unit of all time, but you outshoot them, mm -hmm. and you have screening units that they can't get through, it doesn't really matter how good their melee unit is, because you'll be able to shoot it before it hits your really juicy stuff, and your subpar melee unit getting the charge off on it might be enough to just wipe it out before it even swings. And then it mm -hmm. doesn't really matter how hard that unit hits. So a unit I'm thinking of, for example, might be a unit of Meganops, where, okay. yes, they can jump and charge you reliably from reserves, but if you have enough screens so that the only thing that they can get rid of are your troops' choices, and then they arrive and you shoot and or charge them with your intercessors with Thunderhammer and just pick up the spare on the last few Meganobs, then uh, you didn't need to have the best melee unit in the game. Your intercessors with Thunderhammer were enough. Yeah. Yeah. A a combined arm strategy like that where you do, you know, some of one thing, some of another, and it's enough to take care of a problem that neither shooting nor melee could handle on its own is very common for a lot of lists, especially space marines, who aren't the best at anything, but can be quite good at many things. Now, when I hear combined arms, is that a thing that Dark Eldar does as well? It, it's instead of having like one unit that does multiple things, you have different specialized units that you have to use in conjunction with each other. So you know, combining the you know uh, shooting of like you know venoms or cablite warriors together with the charge of like mandrakes and or uh, a characters that do a lot of the heavy lifting, but hmm. it's. It's definitely not as, like, the only sort of, like, all-round unit, I'd say, is the Mandrake that can shoot and can charge and has, you know, a bunch of different things going for it. However, you know, you can't expect one unit to do everything. Uh, the best Dark Eldar, like, just synergy in general works when you have all the little pieces kind of doing their part for the greater thing. And um, it's hard to like make that happen in a lot of scenarios because some person can get wise and just kind of kill like an element of that puzzle. But if the puzzle pieces go together, they tend to do what they're supposed to do relatively well. Okay, so units that are specialized. Because I think a, a mistake I see a lot of newer players especially making is the one of everything build. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take a tactical squad in a rhino and a razorback and a land speeder and a predator and well that's more the hobbyist that's like a starting hobbyist sort of thing to do where you yeah. kind of like buy one of everything and you see that with chaos a lot as well they bought like this box set so they have two obliterators and you know one greater possessed and you can tell they bought that like box set you know what i mean they split it with a friend but and that's kind of how they've built their army. I'm guessing that's not how you build yours because you already mm -hmm. said i have six venoms and three flyers 
Well, it, you know, that's one of the benefits of playing for 20 years and playing one faction. <laughs> you tend to, you tend to like gather the things that you need um, over time. Uh, but when I first started playing my Dark Eldar, uh, my Drukhari, uh, you know, I was like one Venom and one Raider and then one unit of Witches and one unit of Cabalites and, and using the, you know, like back in the day, they weren't obsessions and stuff. But it, until I built my army to then, I just got good at using the different elements together. Now what I do is I go, okay, I have this many Cabalite Warriors, this many Witches, and I know that in certain situations, it's a combined arms approach. I can't rely on like my cabalite warriors to do everything i have to hit this unit with you know three different things in order to get rid of it but it's using those elements together that gives me the best results yeah and again all or nothing is really important so for example for a newer player the worst thing you could do is go second in the first case against an alpha strike list and you have your squad of marines exposed you have a vehicle exposed um, you have like exactly enough so that all of your opponents anti-infantry is effective and all your opponents anti-tank is effective and their army gets to be super efficient turn one and you don't so you're you're giving them every opportunity to find a way to make their army perform at peak efficiency by taking a thing that's T7, a thing that's T8, a thing that's T6, a thing that's T5, a thing that's T4, um, and some stuff that has strong and vulnerable saves, other things that don't have any invulnerable save. Your, your toughness is totally scattered around the board. Um, maybe you even have one flyer and your opponent's like, oh, I have a CP ability, I can ignore hit penalties with one unit. So I'm going to shoot your one unit that has a hit penalty with my unit that ignores hit penalties. So that's another all-or-nothing approach you can take is if you're going to take a vehicle, don't just take one, take five or six with the same stat line, at least defensively, or with the same role. So it's like... Um, that redundancy. Yeah, so if you're going to yeah. take grotesques, don't take one squad of six, take three squads of seven um, and buff them with all the characters you can to make them toughness six with four plus and vulnerable saves and um, every ability you can to make them as tough as possible because that's their their shtick. Grotesques are that um, tool in the tool belt called we don't get removed from the table very easily. So if you're going to bring a unit that's good at not being removed, bring a lot of it. So when your opponent really focuses down one unit, the other two are still on the table to participate. And I'll tell you something that grinds my gears, to, to quote um, Family Guy. But, um, you know, is, is when somebody knows they're going second, and this could be you or it could be a friend of yours, that puts their tank in the open with no cover, no nothing, and then gets upset when it dies and goes, ah, I didn't make a single save and my dice sucked, um, instead of trying to hide it or putting it somewhere where it's line of sight and forgetting that models have a movement ability, a move, an ability to move and then shoot a lot of the time. So being able to deploy further back and then move and take like one turn of negative modifiers to hit because of moving and shooting is better than being in an, in a position that's open and like just going to get killed. Like don't blame the dice when you could have easily done things to mitigate, you know, the damage that could have been dealt to you. Yeah. List building and where you put your models down are a hundred percent in your control. Correct. So mm -hmm. focus on that. 
Um, the last thing I'd like to, or another thing I'd like to bring up is uh, the first game I had at LVO was streamed, and it was actually a great case study in exactly this. Um, the topic we're discussing was, what do you do when your opponent wants to go second and they go second and they hide everything? Um, so this guy had an Iron Hands army with triple repulsor and a bunch of scouts and eliminators and some intercessors. So it was a really strong firebase army. And the deployment zones were the top 100 LVO terrain with two enormous L-shaped pieces of terrain in each deployment zone doing corners with the nine-inch radius in the center. And he's like, you can go first. I'm like, great, because both of us can hide our entire army in such a way that neither one of us will be able to see the other. And he's going to shoot me off the objectives every turn before I can shoot him, because I'll move out to take objectives and he'll just shoot me off of them before I can respond. The one thing that really gave me a leg up in that game was actually the Bulgrins. So if neither one of us can see each other, melee units are super strong. So I took the Warlord trait of Implacable Advance, which made it so that I could make the Bulgrins auto-advance six instead of rolling for it, and threw those Bulgrins as fast as I could towards his deployment zone. And then I put every psychic buff I could on them to keep them alive. And on his turn, he didn't have melee units that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Bulgrins, at least not without combined arms. So he revealed his entire army and killed all the Bulgrins with them. And, well, all but one. I got kind of lucky. But it didn't matter. The, the remaining Bulgrin did nothing the rest of the game. But because he did that, all of my Layman Russ then revealed themselves and picked up one of his repulsor executioners on the following turn i picked up the other two so because my tanks shot his tanks before he shot mine i won the shooting battle even though if we'd had no terrain he probably would have won the shooting battle himself because his tanks were repulsor executioners that just each one shot one of my own layman russ especially if he has an iron stone which he did and a flat three repairing tech marine which he did and the one-up armor save spell, which he did, or the plus one armor save. So if you're going to be in a situation where your opponent wants you to go first because they can just hide everything, having a way to threaten their deployment zone, line of sight blocking terrain turn one, to force them to engage you and reveal their army before you reveal yours, that's huge. So I think that in this late stage of 8th edition, having melee threat in the center of the board is more crucial than it's ever been. Or at least being able to force your opponent to reveal themselves before you reveal yourself, even if you're going first and playing a shooting army. Yeah, and that same kind of concept also applies with reserves. Um, if both of you are playing a game where you're reserving a lot of stuff, like you know, bringing those Ravagers down or having Lehman Russes hiding off the board or whatever it may be, um, if you can force your opponent to bring their reserves in before you bring yours in, you're often at a really big advantage. Now, oh, definitely. What might be a way you do that? Um, again, if you were sort of uh, made to go first and you don't want to, it may be because you took control of the center of the board. Um, that if you just sort of like blocked off their reserves from being able to come down anywhere they want to. Um, they may be forced to bring them down earlier than they like 
just in order to sort of alleviate that pressure. Um, and it may not be all of it. It may only be some of their reserves or they may not have enough that they're just sort of like, well, all I have is this one unit of, you know, 10 super expensive guys. And I guess I've got to bring them down someplace. I don't want to. Um, but basically putting them in a game position where they cannot afford to leave their reserves off the board or else you will rack up points, kills, etc., uh, I think is the most effective there. So either having so much stuff down on the board, the sort of all-in that we've been talking about, that they're, they have to bring those reserves down, um, or taking control of so much space that they, they realize that you're just going to you know, control everything if they don't bring their reserves in immediately. Yeah, that or baiting them with something that's juicy and they want to kill. True. And then being like, and then just doing a trade, essentially. Ooh. Yeah, especially if you can trade up. Yes. Uh, A lot of people will fall for, like, oh, that's an easy kill. I'll bring in my big hammer unit and destroy it. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but you put your your hammer in a place where I can just completely remove it from the table. Random tactical note. It's a, a. if you're a Necron player and you haven't looked at death marks, do because they reactionary deep strike as soon as a person puts a deep striking model down. So if somebody's deep striking like a character, you could literally wait for them to deploy the character, then deep strike your death marks and mess up all their other deep strikes. Mm-hmm. That's huge because you can make it so the character has to be the closest model to the death marks, for example. <laughs> Not only no, that, the death marks don't can, even care. The death marks literally, they don't care because they're snipers, but the death marks can then make that all the other models that wanted to come in to support that character or mm-hmm. any characters that wanted to come in to support that unit are no longer allowed to deploy within yeah. nine inches of that unit. Anyway, yes, uh, just saying. It's a fun little trick. Man, I need to learn more of these tricks because I build my lists like peeling an onion, but that is some spicy burrito. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Then I will add that to the list of if you're trying to get people to come in from reserves, set up a trade so that their bishop takes your knight and then your um then your pawn takes their bishop their, or whatever. Yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. Or yeah, your rook their rook takes your bishop and your pawn takes, takes their, their rook. rook. Trade yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Trade yeah, something like that. So I think I think that's very important. It also comes to show like if you have a stratagem like forewarned or um, you know, uh spec scan or some form of that, you know, setting up a trap like that could be a lot more than just um oh no, I've left my character that you need to kill exposed. It could be something like, um, well, I'm going to shoot you when you come down. Whether you, you know, and, and not, it's not like a gotcha thing. It's like you, your opponent can know that you have it, but be like, if you want to do this, this is good for you in the game, but you have to be willing to take a pounding for it. And that's part of my plan to soften up that unit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, then... I think we've actually done a good job of summarizing at least what I set out to do. Was there anything that Scary or Sean, you guys wanted to add to this that maybe I've missed? 
the biggest thing that I want to add, just to finish it off, because I don't think we need to kind of beat the discussion more. Like, of course, if any of you out there, um, listeners who are just like, oh, man, you totally forgot this one thing that I totally do that's the best thing and you totally forgot it, then leave a comment, send us an email or send Pablo an email. Just flood his email browser with all this stuff. Um, <laughs> is don't like a philosophy that i always live by is every model that you have in your army is expendable everything will die it's and the trick is picking where it's going to die instead of wondering if it's going to die and if you can choose where its demise is going to happen you're normally in a good position in the game and do not get like they're just the the models reset game to game so just be okay with losing every model in your army at some point most of the games that i've played that were terrible matchups like against some crazy shooty tau armies and some crazy armies like that i win the game and i have four models left at the end of the game right like it's it, it's possible to to just play the game with almost no models but people get so disheartened when that first turn of shooting wipes out a big chunk of their army that they sort of like get into fight flight or freeze response and their like instincts kick in and then they either overcommit everything or they act really defeated and try to hide too much or they just freeze and have no idea what to do and it takes practice to really kind of understand what you can and cannot do with limited resources um, when when you're playing that all or nothing type approach, mm -hmm. I yeah. think uh, keeping in mind the balance of models in your army is also really important here. Um, you know, if you have a mix of infantry and vehicles, you're going to play very very differently than if you are all vehicles or all infantry. Uh, and knowing what the meta is preparing for as well as what you're preparing for is really going to influence how you have to play that army. Um, we're seeing a bunch of people fielding a lot of tough infantry these days, which means people are building to kill tough infantry. Um, that means if you are not the toughest infantry around, then you may want to think about either fielding a lot of expendable infantry like those grots that scary was talking about uh or vehicles which have a very different profile now um, with a stock up and vulnerable save yep yep um <laughs> and and you can really leverage that is uh you know grots grots are easy to kill until there's 200 of them and they all have an invuln and they're ignoring morale and all this other stuff um but you can also go the other direction and just like, well, what do you have? Well, I have a whole, bu whole bunch of knights and all of your strength four AP2 damage two guns are just bouncing off of me. Um, so look at what kind of target profiles you have uh, when you're looking at, you know, whether you're going to present everything or hide everything. Yeah, I mean, if you can't hide everything, at least make sure that only the grots are visible and they can't see the tanks Yep. or vice versa. So that again, your opponent can't just make sure all their last cannons and all their bolters are super effective in the same turn. Yeah. Then uh, I, like I think that about covers it then. Um, hmm? So unless anyone has anything to add, I'd like to thank our listeners for sticking with us, even though Pablo isn't here to bless us with his wonderful soothing voice and <laughs> keep us in line 
Um, but I'm sure that he'll add a few words to this podcast. Hope so anyway. And then uh, we'll be back with Chapter Tactics as regularly scheduled next week. So um, with that, um, Brandon Grant, do you want to let everybody know where people can find you and what you do for the uh, Astro Militarum Imperium community? Yeah, still promoting this, but I have a Facebook group that's private for guard players who want to be more competitive. It's actually getting some momentum going. It's called Scola Tactica. Don't try and spell it. Just message me and I'll add you if you're interested. <laughs> Best way to to make a page go viral, make a page that nobody can spell. A common problem with Warhammer pages, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Sean, the... where, where can folks find you? Uh, we're doing In the Finest Hour episodes again. We're on Facebook as well as a, uh, a number of other pr- platforms. Uh, we're working on getting expanded out to Spotify and YouTube and all that sort of thing as well, although it's it's not quite active yet. Um, but most most podcast hosting services will have us on them, uh, and you can, of course, find us on Patreon as Facebook as well. Uh, and we're doing weekly episodes with Ben Jurek, who's our, our new co-host, uh, and we've been, it's been going really well. So if folks want something to listen to during all the downtime they've got these days, uh, I'd recommend you, you check us out and give a listen. Make sure you're also checking out the other podcasts in the Frontline Gaming network of podcasts, as well as checking out the ITC Patreon page if you want to support the ITC. Um, Pablo does do a giveaway for all Chapter Tactics Patreons. Um, Don't know what his giveaway is going to be at this point. However, if you want to support Chapter Tactics as well, go on to that. I'm Skari. Uh, where you can find me is on the Art of War 40k, where I'm one of the coaches as well as one of the article writers and list builders. Uh, you can also find me on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. All right, I guess that'll do it. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll catch up with you next week. Bye. Later. <laughs>